Welcome back, dear listener, to Busting Addiction and Its Myths. I am Bruno J., your host for this podcast, now going into our ninth month of continuous weekly releases with this episode number three of season four. This podcast is sponsored by Safe House Rehab Thailand, where we absolutely outperform traditional rehabs when it comes to three things, diagnostics, technology, and aftercare. We offer a truly modern approach to recovery because the world keeps changing and we at Safe House are determined to stay ahead of the curve. It's no accident that safe is part of our name. Safety comes first and all else can follow. Without our clients being safe and feeling safe, recovery is simply not possible. As to our podcast series, Busting Addiction and Its Myths, we are unlikely to truly bust addiction, even though it's our lifetime goal. But we can surely take on and bust some of the unhelpful myths that travel with it. A question for you today. Have you ever looked through the Johari window? J-O-H-A-R-I window? Even though you may have heard something about it, I want to share with you my exposure to it back in the early 90s, when I sobered up for good, I hope and show you how it applies to recovery for the addict in your family and for the family itself when in a therapeutic group setting. Here's a short course. The Johari window originated in the 1950s in the U.S., as did a lot of great things like rock and roll and tail fins on the Cadillac. This was a brainchild of Joseph Luft and Harrington Ingham, hence Johari. It was intended and sold as a tool to help improve communication, and relationships within organizations. Of course, improving communication as a, as a means of building more meaningful and resilient relationships today has greater urgency now than ever before. Back in the 1950s, when the Johari window was created for organizations to improve human communication at the company level, therapists were lightning quick to see how the Johari window could be used as a means of revealing the truth about ourselves as recovering addicts or trying to recover at least. Recovery also applies profoundly to family members in addicted codependent relationships. And that means everyone who has an addict, quote, in the house. Codependency is a subject in and of itself. To learn more, check out Melody Beatty's B-E-A-T-T-Y apostrophe S, Melanie Beatty, no apostrophe, superb book called Codependent No More. There are four panes or squares to the Jahari window. Although the panes will differ and change in size as therapy reveals more about myself. And this is how they are described as part of the group therapy process in recovery. Number one is the open pane. This is what I easily reveal to others. This is what I and others know about me. Just the typical life facts, such as where I live, what I do for a living, and other basic self-descriptors. This zone also allows me to express my wish to have the world see me in a certain way and allows me to express how I would like to see myself. The operative word here is see, as in seeing through a window. Therapists say, and I was taught this, that the signs of recovery include being open about ourselves and knowing what we are feeling. We are no longer stuffing our feelings. We use drugs and alcohol to do that, and that way we could keep those pesky feelings down there. One technique to help open us up are the questions about our primary feelings. Example, am I mad, glad, afraid, ashamed, or hurt? So, 
You might be surprised to learn how many people, recovering or not, do not know what emotions they are feeling or do not want to reveal them for fear. They're afraid of looking vulnerable or weak. Men are notorious for hiding or denying their feelings. Men are also twice as likely as women to become addicts or alcoholics. That said, I know of no research designed to explore the apparent connection between the incidence of addictive disorder between men and women and how each gender handles its feelings. Number two is the secret pain. This is what I will never, ever reveal to others, but I do know this about me. This is a secret to you, and it's shameful to me. What I think you should never know about me. Much energy is expended in keeping secrets. The bigger the pain, the greater the pain. P-A-I-N. It is indeed true that healing can begin when more and more of the things that were once hidden from view are finally brought into the light. By the way, there is a step that's all about that, for if we do not disclose to someone exactly what we are feeling, thinking, and remembering, the odds are that we will either relapse or stay miserable, but, quote, sober. Understanding and expressing what I am really feeling and being okay with whatever I feel will help me go with the flow, and I do not have to resist or alter my feelings. I will therefore not be compelled to drink or use drugs to stuff these feelings, and the truth process will help me accept these feelings as just feelings, and not as an invitation to jump off the bridge or act on them in an unhealthy way. Addicts live life in more than one dimension, at least in two and sometimes more. We're actors, we're chameleons who desperately want to be accepted, to fit in, and we will lie either subtly or outrageously just to keep that shameful secret in the basement where it'll stay. Otherwise, we mistakenly believe we will be voted off the island forever a persona non grata. The need to keep a secret is based on yet another myth that is embraced by much of our own society as well. Addicts, that is. The myth, addicts are bad, weak, immoral people who brought this upon themselves and deserve whatever punishment we choose to mete out. So instead of seeing themselves as sick people trying to heal, they see themselves as weak, bad, unworthy of respect from others and for themselves. And much of society agrees. We in recovery believe that you're only as sick as the secrets that you keep. That's why we have a sponsor to whom we can confide as part of our 12-step program. And that's why it's so vital. Number three, the blind pain. P-A-N-E. This is what others can readily see about me, but I am not aware of it myself. This is the pain of denial. This is the not knowing that I am pretending to be normal, but others can see, for example, that I am I am emotionally fragile. One of the most powerful aspects of group therapy is the group's x-ray vision. Others see things we cannot for a variety of self-protective reasons. They see the pretenses we project and are far from fooled. And they are far from fooled. They see when we try to hide self-serving motives under good ones and call us on it. They serve as the mirror to our own attitudes and behavior. They can see when we are violating the values that we used to hold so dear. One of the most unpleasant moments, and I signed up for this, is what we called being in the hot seat in a group therapy session. This meant taking my turn every few weeks and having the group call me on my self-defeating attitude and or dishonest behavior, a most uncomfortable but necessary part of the process on the road to becoming an authentic human being. That brings to life a very important concept which is stated as, ye shall know the truth, and knowing the truth shall set you free. It, this rigorous process, is all about liberation from the slavery of addiction, after all. Number four, unknown. 
the unknown pain. This is what is not known by others and by me. I may not know or believe something even very positive about myself, such as I would be a great dad because I have true empathy for others. And therefore, since it has not yet been uncovered, it's also unknown to others. Group therapy starts with me sharing about myself for the open pain, for others to share about me for the blind pain. We go around the room as more is revealed and more trust is built. The secret and the unknown pains get filled in for a more complete picture of me and of others in the room. This group effect is recognized as one of the most powerful revealing and healing forces in recovery, bringing us from a place of self-deceit and sabotage into the zone of truth, compassion, and empathy. Only by actively surrendering to the truth can we begin our journey. So what do we learn today? 1. The Johari window is yet another useful method for therapists to use in the recovery setting involving addicts and their loved ones who are drawn into the dysfunctional world of addiction. Number 2. The whole point of the Johari window is to uncover truths about ourselves by smashing illusions that stand in the way of healing. 3. Group therapy is a powerful tool designed to steer us from denial and unhealthy, self-defeating thinking onto the path of honest thinking. The group will catch us if we're not honest, and it will also support us if we are indeed honest with ourselves and with the group. Number four, becoming more open by shining a light on our secrets will have them lose their power and ease the burden of stuffing our misguided feelings of shame. And number five, working through each window in a group therapy session, that is, working through the open, secret, blind, and even unknown pains, will help liberate us from old ideas that do not serve us well anymore, especially now that we see the light. Thank you for tuning in today. It's my fervent hope we've given you new insight and new hope that will lighten your burden. For our hearts go out to all who suffer the effects of addictive disorder. Please give us your feedback at info at safehouserehab.com. By all means, ask us any question you like, and we'll answer on air if you will. And if you want to leave us your first name and city, we'll recognize you too, of course. This podcast is sponsored by safehouserehab.com, where we take a modern approach to recovery, something all families of those who suffer deserve. Tune in next week for more.